Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. I'm here with Pat, our lovely Bearskin Rug. What's going on? Special guest for this interview, Mr. Bill Z from Comic Book Bears. How you doing? And the guest of the hour, Mr. Steve McIsaac, of all things bearer and comic book. No, that pretty much covers it, I guess. The hottest bearer of comic books? I I think that that one fits in there well, too. Yeah, I actually had not seen your picture until just a few minutes ago, and I went on Facebook, I think, and I found you on there, maybe it was Google+, and I was like, oh, wow, he actually is, uh, he fits the part, he's not just a... A self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit, because um, I've been drawing and working out, I guess, for about 12 years, and I got better at drawing first, let's just, let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to have you on here. Of course, if you've not seen uh, Steve's work, most notably, Shirtlifter, the series, and there's, what, four issues of those out? issues and i'm working on number five and number six are both about half done awesome and those come out from uh northwest press and then like different online uh, how, how do they come out well northwest um handles my digital editions um zan does the pdfs and the itunes versions through his company i self-publish the actual print editions and have been doing that myself since 2006 and so Zan, Zan's doing the digital end because I can't be bothered with that <laughs> stuff and I'd kind of resisted doing digital editions for a while just because I'm kind of a print junkie and and especially with art books the way that it's on the page and the paper influences the experience so I was always very I don't know resistant to the idea of doing it but um, it seems to be the, the direction the market's going and the two of us when we collaborated we managed to come up with designs that actually make the work look good uh, 
and so since it looks good enough on an iPad, I was able to sort of let go of my resistance somewhat, and I'm, I'm glad I did because they've been pretty. It's become a lot easier for international readers, especially, to get a hold of them. It's not like my distribution is very, very good, even in the United States and internationally. It's virtually non-existent. Well, we uh, were thrilled at our local comic shop, uh, a comic shop, to actually have some of your shirtlifter issues in, and I think I bought the last couple uh, at one point, and then just today, thankfully, since you have these digital now, I was able to get three and four uh, with the click of only a few buttons. From, oh, cool. Uh, Gumroad, or is, is that right? Gumroad? Yeah, Gumroad. Gumroad does the Windows or PDF versions. EPUB is through iTunes. Yeah, my preference is always PDF because of the... Uh, I'm an Android guy, so anyway, yeah, I was able to read them today, so I, I'm really glad you went digital. You also are known for working with Dale Lazaroff uh, on Sticky, right? Uh, that was and my first published book. Oh, that was your first, okay. Kind of. I mean, some of the some of the material that was published in number two, Shirtlifter Two, the autobiographical material, came out in different anthologies from small publishers before. Um, Sticky was released, but that was sort of the first thing that I ever did under my own name, like not as part of an anthology or, or something. Oh, very cool. So with that being the case, uh, like what was the inspiration for you to start to do this kind of stuff to get into the comics and, and get these stories put out there? Well, I'd always been obsessed with the comic book form ever since I was a kid, and I'd drawn a lot in, as a teenager. And when I got into my late teenage years and went to college, it sort of fell by the wayside and I became a lot more interested in um, writing short stories. And I, I did a lot of play uh, theater and, and playwriting in, in my 20s and also worked a lot in radio. So did like sound art and things like that. So my creative impulses, I, I stopped drawing at all basically except from doodling here and there and which was sort of the best thing I ever did because I forgot a lot of my old habits like good and bad so when I when I started again in my my late 20s I started going to a comic book store again and quickly became re-obsessed and I had been working on um I've been working at a radio station working on on layout and design for our in-house magazine and someone had to learn illustrator so I was volunteered to do that so I taught myself the program for, for layout and logo and quickly thought, you know, this would really, this, you could do comics with this really, really easily. And I started messing around and working digitally helped me unblock some of the problems that I had with drawing comics. Namely, I'm really, really bad at drawing small. When I went to art school in my 30s, I'm kind of a wall drawer. I, I make big, big, large format things when I'm working on paper. And drawing in teeny tiny little boxes was always really problematic for me. So as a digital artist, I'm working on the panels sort of at scale. It doesn't really matter what size that they are. I draw them at whatever size is comfortable for me. And that was a real breakthrough to being able to do the kind of comics that I, was, I wanted to. So I, I, I kind of became obsessed again. I, and I went back to art school in my early 30s, ostensibly for design, but I got seduced by the fine art department and wound up in a, in a printmaking class. And uh, I did a silkscreen edition of my first gay themed work, which got redrawn in the second issue, as you can tell us anything. And it was just 12 short panels about some kid coming out to his parents, basically, loosely autobiographical. And that sort of got the dam burst, so to speak, I guess, because I was interested in comics and I messed around with some things, but it had never really occurred to me until then to actually do gay themed stuff because I was, I came out pretty late. I came out when I was 26 and I sort of was very 
not involved in the gay scene at all, and I felt I really didn't have the right to comment on anything because I didn't really know much. I knew I knew about my own experiences, and I didn't really know much about the scene around me. And as my knowledge grew, I get got less shy about writing about it. And um, that's the result. That's how all the sort of the more personal approach to my work got started. That's awesome, and 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 kind of leads into a little bit of the next question, which is really, what's your process? I I'm interested to know a little bit since you got into the digital as kind of a, a means to an end to allow you to do the stuff you felt comfortable doing. That transition now from you know going to print and going to digital, you kind of seem like you're set up then now for that, right? I'm pretty set up. Yeah, I mean, I have. I mean, what kind of process? Do you mean the publishing process or the the writing and drawing process? They're, they're kind of different things. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of both. I mean, we we love to hear kind of both parts of it. it. It sort of varies from work to work. When when I did Sticky, that's sort of atypical in the sense I didn't write that. And one of the reasons I didn't write that is because at that point I really wanted to focus on getting my drawing better. I'd done a couple a couple strips by myself at that point, and I sort of knew Dale outside of comics and. He was a writer, and I liked his writing, and I asked him. I was interested in doing something erotic and something wordless because I didn't want it to be a barrier to international sales, and I asked him to do a script, and he did, and I really liked it. And so he's very, very detailed in what he wants. So my job was basically to interpret what the script was, and he's pretty specific with layouts, and I would I varied from it sometimes, um, but mostly what's there is in the story if somewhat embellished or reinterpreted through my own sensibility. So we did three issues together, and, and my drawing got a lot better. What, one of the reasons it did is actually he's a pretty good visual editor, and he can be very, very detail-oriented, and I'm not always so consistent with the way maybe a character looks from scene to scene, uh, and he picks up on that kind of stuff. So he sort of sharpened my sensibility a, a little bit. And just being able to focus on the drawing, I maybe went a little flashier than I do with my personal work, which tends to be a little more understated, um, especially in terms of panel layouts. I usually stick to a grid um, unless there's a reason to deviate from that. And then, although recently I've been getting back to doing a little more experimentation with, with layouts and stuff. So my process with, with him was basically I would draw the pages in order, send them to him, we would computerize them, and then send it back to me. The stuff that I did in the personal stuff is a little bit of a mess or freeform. I would basically just improvise the stories and then keep revising them until I had something that I, I liked. And that's a bit of a messy and long and sometimes frustrating way to work because I don't always know what the piece is going to be exactly until it's finished. I basically have an idea in my head and then when it's finished, I, I know when it's finished but I don't, it's usually just like an image or an idea that I sort of run with. For Unpacking, which is the long graphic novel that I've been working on, chapter, the books one and books two, that's the first time I'd ever drawn a comic book in order where I started on panel one and went through. And that's basically because I was serializing them both online mm. and I had a deadline and I drew those in order. And that's the only work I think I've ever done that with. Um, I started at the beginning and then moved forward and then went back and revised it pre-publication and added some things, deleted some things. But then the difference was I had an outline but no script. I knew roughly what was going to happen, and I still do, but uh, my neighborhood, Sirens, I live near the fire. I live near the fire. 
the fire department. It's always doing. Problems. You're in Toronto, right? What? Are you in Toronto? No, I'm in Long Beach, California. Oh, I don't know. Oh, you're you're from Canada, right? You're Canadian. I am Canadian, okay. but I haven't lived there since 2001. Oh, so, because okay. I was like, wow, they have they have fires in Canada. I didn't think that was. Possible. They do have fires in Canada. <laughs> They're socialist fires. They only burn down the houses of rich people. Nice. <laughs> See, the problem is that Steve is so hot that the he's shipping the fire alarm. That's nice. <laughs> my my goal is to try to make you blush during this interview, Steve. That's that's why I'm here. Okay. <laughs> That'd be good to catch on the uh, the internet. I have oh. a naturally red complexion, so it may be difficult to uh, distinguish. Determine. It's all right. I'll keep trying. That's fine. <laughs> So when you're moving panels around and you're and you're you're doing your freeform stuff, I mean, do you have them pretty much in Illustrator, and you're that's how you kind of edit, or do you have more hand? Yeah, I sort of I I draw basically one panel at a time, and sometimes I like I do everything I'm not supposed to. I basically draw the image and then crop it later. So that's one of the reasons why in the digital edition of number three, for example, I was able to add about twelve pages of art without too much of a problem because I, I had extra stuff lying around or, or I found the original layout was just really cramped and small and my, my husband's always telling me, you, you know, your stuff looks better big. You're always making it too small. Expand it. Let it, let it breathe more. So I changed the layout and I played around with the layout a little bit more and expanded some of the panels and because I had extra art from, from propping it so much, um, I was able to do that. So in some ways, the uh, doing it my way gives me some latitude to, to fix things later or to make some changes if I want to. But it does mean it takes longer because I'm, I'm basically doing a lot of work that nobody ever sees. Right. But I don't always... Some people are natural artists and they have this, they have a vision in their head that they're trying to articulate. And I never know what the image is going to be until it's done. I might have sort of a rough idea, but uh, I'm discovering it while I'm drawing. More of a sculptor than a uh, kind of, although I suck at 3D stuff. But it would be really boring for me if I had this completely articulated vision back in 2006 and then spent the next eight years trying to like put that out. That would be really, really um, awful. So I like to give myself enough room in my work to cultivate my current obsessions and it might it takes a little longer but it seems to it seems to work for me that way so speaking of obsessions uh, again you're kind of leading these questions i love it um what do you enjoy drawing right now like what's your favorite thing to put into your work that you just really like to see realized i fucking hate drawing so i don't enjoy drawing anything that's not exactly true but it's i feel about drawing the same way i feel about writing which is it's i i like finishing yeah i like being done. The process is something that I do because I feel worse when I don't do it. I don't think it's too much of a coincidence that the period that I didn't draw at all was probably the period where I was the most depressed in my life. So it's sort of a need and a compulsion and I need to do it. I've actually been I haven't been drawing so much over the last couple of years. I had a little bit of an art snit and basically said fuck comic books. Fuck this industry. It's homophobic. It's difficult. Nobody gives a shit. Why am I doing this for an audience? of like 500 people it just doesn't make any sense i would make i would make more money being a barista at uh, a starbucks than, than doing it but again this i'm not really doing this for for cash i have a job that i like and it keeps me pretty busy so i'm not as productive as i would like at the same time cartooning is very solitary and and so my job as a teacher means that i, I have to be very social and very on all 
time. So I get to cultivate both parts of my brain, the social and the antisocial part. Leading back to your question, what do I like drawing? I, I really tend to, I like establishing shots. I love, um, maybe because it's the opposite of what I'm known for, but I like doing really intricate portraits of city streets and trees and, and cars and things that are very <sighs> external evocations of an internal state. I'm obsessed with basically two things in my art. One is body language and how the characters hold themselves and what that says about them as people. And the other thing is the external environment and what how that's maybe how that reflects what is on their insides. Or at, even if, even if it's not doing that, um, it's setting up sort of a specific location. It's placing them in a real world context and not just say anywhere, anywhere, any town, any country. I I, I, I like I set it my unpacking in Vancouver because it's a very individual city and that landscape informs the story that I'm telling. Kind of like even how, how Scott Pilgrim is like very much in Toronto and the art absolutely reflects real places and that kind right. of and that and right. actually was it I don't remember if it was short lifter one or two the one set in Japan yes um, I've not been to Japan but I definitely am familiar with the culture and I studied the language and all that and uh, did you try to do that with that story as well try to place it in real locations oh sure well those the locations are all photographs that I took while I lived there okay. uh, so yeah it's that story very much came out of my experiences as an expatriate living in, in Tokyo it's not autobiographical but it's sort of loosely based on people that I knew while I was there I was not um, my husband wasn't a corporate executive, yeah. who, but I knew someone whose husband was, and he was doing exactly um, what the character in that story was. He was basically a bored housewife who was fucking the milkman, huh. and that's that's an interesting idea. And and again, it's 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 like um, a gay version of Madame Bovary, you know, the idea of, of being suffocated by by a relationship and, and and sort of trapped by it. But at the same time, that's also a trap of your own making. You you don't have to you don't have to fall into those patterns you have a choice so uh influence wise do you have any other artists in uh, either mainstream comics or in other media that you really have drawn inspiration from or that you've tried to pattern some of your stuff after influence absolutely i i try not I'm not, i try not to look at anybody's work directly but it's going to be in there absolutely there's there's no question that i've been influenced by Jaime Hernandez just because he's my he's my favorite cartoonist and um, I think when I go super black and white high contrast that's definitely that's Alex Toth influence and, and Jaime nice. Hernandez both you know because Toth influenced Hernandez and, and I like both of them mm-hmm. and they had that sort of high contrast um, shadowy noir um, ideas is definitely coming from there not so much in the writing maybe a little bit just because I do like a chronological narrative structure and he's sort of a master at that. But I've never tried, and I've only done a few times his sort of famous visual transitions where, you know, someone's hand will be up and then you see, like, flashback to 10 years previous and the character's doing that exact same pose. I try not to, I may have done that once or twice, but he's If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Definitely influencing me. Alison Bechtel, just by sheer virtue of her ambition, and I don't know, I, my the general general indie comic stuff that I grew up with in the in the eighties and nineties. Chris Ware, um, Dan Klaus. I tend to be on the existentialist despair side of the comics industry in terms of things that I like. Dylan Horrocks, I think, is an amazing cartoonist. What else? So yeah, that's kind of the not non superhero stuff. Yeah. I don't tend to go for... I will read Cape and Cowl stuff, you know, and I will appreciate um, things for the art, but that tends to be the exception rather than the rather than the role. Yeah, I, I hear you. From a design perspective, I don't know if you've seen any of Hickman's stuff. Jonathan Hickman? You might... Names familiar... You might enjoy his indie uh, image stuff. He's a writer principally, but he he's a visual designer. He came out of advertising, and he has some right. really interesting, sort of unique in the industry sort of things he's doing. Kind of reminds me of Steranko, who is another big one I, right. I really, really love. So modern comics, it's mostly more of that indie stuff. You you don't typically dip your toe into the big uh, superhero publishers or kind of walk no. by the aisle and just kind of look at what's going on in the covers and go, eh. It's, it's so... Even, even when I try... I mean, and occasionally I'll feel like, well, I'll try to check something out. They're incomprehensible to me. I have no idea what's going on because it involves, it would be not only, it would be like trying to watch TV, but you have to have watched every single episode of every soap opera for the last 40 years and able to understand what's going on. Even even when they're trying to clear the continuity, it's just incomprehensible to me. Yeah. I'll watch superhero movies and they'll be fine, but um, so it's not like I don't have an affection for the character, but I don't have a vested interest in their success either and I just because I like Colossus doesn't mean that I'm going to like read 25 shitty comic books featuring him just because I like being a guy in shiny metal it's not it's not something it has to be good for me to get my attention and I have to be able to understand it on its own merits I guess makes sense but you like Colossus that's one of your favorites I do like Colossus I grew up liking Colossus very much big burly man in a uh, in a speedo (laughs) Yes. What's not to like? Exactly. Nice. So, Shirtlifter, like that title, other than maybe the obvious, like, did you have some meaning behind the title more than just, well, a guy is probably going to have a shirtless shot? I mean, what were you intending? Oh, that's not, that's not what it means. Okay. Um, shirtlifter is a British term. It's ah. a British slang term. It means faggot. And it's kind of, it's a little archaic. It's sort of like calling someone a fruit. Like, nobody really calls people mm-hmm. a fruit anymore. But it's something that you could, it got, it could get on TV. And 
and it's not quite the worst thing you could call someone. It's it's not like on the list of awful names you can call someone. It's yeah. it's on the more innocuous side, but it's not a compliment either. And what I like about it is it's there, and, and it's but it's, it's sort of obvious. The content is in the title, and it's sort of hiding in plain sight at the same time. It's a little bleak, and that's sort of what I go for with my work, that there's kind of a few levels to it that you can look at it. I mean, I know there's people who they only, the only reason they like my comics is because I have muscular men with hairy chest in it, and that's sort of, that's their level of interaction with it, and I'm not afraid to go to the sexy place, and that's that's fine, and they enjoy the work for that reason, but I'm also trying to sneak content in there as well, and you can read it on just like a plot level, or you can sort of extrapolate from it and think about what what it means to be gay in you know, sort of the 21st century. That's sort of the macro theme of what everything that I do is, is we have, basically we have an open book to write our culture because nothing's formed and tolerance is sort of getting better. And so the choices we make, it's the choices that we make are interesting considering they're not the only choices available to us. And so I'm trying to document what it's like, what's, what, is, what is it like to be a closeted married man in 2013. That seems almost anachronistic, but it's not, because there's still closeted married men who are having sex with men. What does it mean to be someone who can get married and then says, I'm never doing that again because I don't believe it? You know, what is what does that mean? And what what happens when you put those two people together? Yeah, it's, um, uh, I, I actually, it's fresh in my head because I just read that this morning and I actually have just come out of, like about eight months ago, nine months ago, a long relationship. So it was interesting right. to see that uh, story kind of told. And You're in the fuck love part of your recovery probably no 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 i'm in a much happier place <laughs> no i uh so this is the ongoing thing this is unpacked this is what you're serializing yeah, unpacking, right which um i'm working on the third and final book right now is drawing on it this morning actually those three books will form my graphic novel my first attempt at something really really launch will have taken me eight years by the time i'm finished so i don't know that i'll ever do another do you look for uh, collaborating with other writers? Do you do commissions? Like, what else do you do on top of your own stuff? Um, I've been asked by a couple writers, and on some level, I, I would be interested, but I don't have time. I barely have time to do my own work. It's It'll be three years between issues by the time the new one comes out, and which is, that's too long, but I it's it, one of my reasons for coming back from my almost quitting was to take the pressure off me and I'm, I'm just saying when it comes it comes out when it comes out and mm-hmm. I'm not going to kill myself to do it so collaborating with other people doesn't seem to be I, uh, it doesn't seem to be on the table the only exception to that would be my husband who has written he wrote a comic a couple of years ago that I did and wound up being in a Best American Comics anthology because it was really good. And he's writing down notes madly in the background right now because he wants to do another one. And I'm like, okay, I might, I might, I might do one for him because I live with him and that's easy. But I don't know that I'm interested right now, at least, in working with other people. I'd never say never, but I'd have to make a significantly larger piece of my income from comic books to consider the possibility. So if it's just something I'm doing for fun, I'm going to do the things that, I'm, that I like for me. That's very liberating, and I'm sure it allows you uh, not only the time to think about it, but also appreciate it more, even if it's painful. <laughs> well, it's – yeah, I, I basically have just – I appreciate it now. I've got a more balanced approach. I don't – I think I had too high expectations previously, and the back of my mind was always, uh, well, maybe I can maybe I can make a living at this. But 
the, the problem being I started cartooning just as gay bookstores were collapsing around the country. And comic book stores are hostile to non-superhero material, and they're incredibly hostile to gay material. And you put the two together, there's like 10 stores that will carry me. And they tend to think of what I do as porn, and I'm just sick of trying to explain why it isn't. Yeah. So it's not an uh, environment that's really conducive to the work that I do. At the same time, the internet's really allowed. I do have a fan base. I have people who really keep emailing me, like, when's the next one coming out? They, they connect with what I do. So within that sphere, as long as I don't, as long as I have a fan base, I'm amazed that I've gotten as far as I have, quite frankly. And I don't, I don't need to make a living from it anymore. In fact, I don't know that I would want to. Um, I really like my job. I'm good at teaching. I certainly make more money doing what I'm doing than I'd ever be able to do in the cartooning industry um, unless I hit sort of more superstar levels of, of fame. Even really well-known cartoonists don't, especially independent ones, they don't make bank. It's right. not, you know, they may, they have supporting spouses and, and they live in, in less expensive cities than I do and they're able to make it work. Um, and I really appreciate that they do because they do amazing stuff. But I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. I just I wish I could get it out faster. At yeah. the same time, I don't know that I have all that much to say. So you know, I think in some ways I'm better off having something when I put out something. It's kind of an event rather than oh another one from him. You know, he's always doing things. You know, people appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, it does make it special. I mean, I think uh, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that from different artists who have other ways of making a living, and yet right. the internet they can do their own thing and get what they want to their market i mean you see this now right. with like private eye i mean they're selling completely straight from the artist and the writer to the fans right th through their own even website i mean that's the thing they're not even using like major uh publisher like uh you know gumroad or any of those uh they're just straight to the website right. so that's i i think that's amazing it really helps bill did you have any questions i didn't mean to one question i had was basically answered earlier uh steve one thing i have to say is whether it was your intention or not one thing in shirtlifter one that you uh, a sense that you captured perfectly was the effect of travel on a relationship and I think that's uh, not just a gay theme naturally it's a universal theme and how that dynamic can affect even when both parties are present I know that Brian's travel extensively for work I'm in a situation right now where if I added it up I've slept in more Sheridan and Marriott beds this year than my own right. and uh, whether that was something that you wanted to go for or not captured that perfectly with the relationships um, between the main character and his uh, and his spouse. The second question I did have, though, uh, was in terms in regards to Shirtlifter Three uh, being an anthology of not just your own work. What was the decision making behind that? Was it did you wanted to give a spotlight to Justin Hall and Matt Broussard, artists that you might have affinity for? Because it really felt like a whole when you read Three uh, straight through. It, it didn't have an anthology feel in a sense. They, they did seem linked in a kind of subversive way. So I was just wondering uh, what the decision making was behind for that. The there wasn't any intention to link it thematically. My my idea was, I mean, I started, when I did number one, it was a comic book. I was thinking, okay, I'll do these 20, 40, 32 pages of comic books. And then quickly realized that was a bad idea because people who were most interested in my stuff were bookstores and not mm -hmm. so much traditional comic book stores. So that's why when I did number the second one that I got the Zurich for, I tried to make it thicker, 56 pages or so. 
and that's just at the threshold of being able to have a spine. And so I thought, well, thicker is better. But if I if I wait too long, it'll, I'll, it'll be too long between issues if I if I wait till I have like a hundred pages. So my idea was I wanted to do this this graphic novel that I had conceptualized in these sixty page chunks, basically mm -hmm. um, three books of equal length. And I I like the end idea of anthologies, but one of the things that always drove me crazy about anthologies was that you you have 80 people in them and they all get two pages each and it's really impossible to do anything substantive in, in a really short period of time so my idea was well Let's make it more of an anthology. Let's make it, if it's going to come out once a year, we might as well make it more of an event. I'll invite a couple of artists that whose work I like and who I feel is sort of simpatico with the kind of gay work that I'm doing and give them more room to, to breathe, basically, to do longer stories rather than a four-page four page chunk. So that was the idea. And so if, if there's sort of thematic compatibility, it's because if you give cartoonists more room to breathe, they're going to do maybe different things than they would do one page pages tend to be jokey. You can make mm -hmm. you can you do a, a funny little what ha ha thing. You can't really get to something a little more emotional in that type of space unless you're really, really good. And no slight on cartoonists, but you know, I mean I mean Flannery O'Connor good. I mean like super and world class good. And that's a hard place to that that kind of quality is very rare. So but a little bit more space, then people have they do more interesting things, I think. And that's kind of I think the same philosophy. There's an upcoming anthology I'm in called Queer with that Robert Kirby edited and the pieces in there are, are all fairly lengthy for that exact reason um, giving cartoonists some room to actually do interesting work that's awesome um, so that's uh, some stuff coming up. Uh, other than the shirtlifters, do you have any other projects that you're thinking about? Well, I have a I have a short story that is in that anthology I just mentioned called Vacant Lots. It's the first story I've completed actually since I finished four. Um, so that was sort of a good psychological milestone that took me a year. Fits and starts, but I, I did it. That and some other pieces I've done will be part of six when when six comes out. Six will be kind of another autobiographical themed collection of material. I've already got about 24 pages done of it, and then I've got two short stories in mind that I will uh, draw to round those out when the time comes. And I'm working on five right now. My, all my energy for drawing is going into finishing number five. And it's about maybe a third done, but a third done, sort of done in fits and starts over the last couple of years. But I'm actually, my plan for the fall is to sit down and actually just hammer it out and, and do it. I haven't been focusing on it so much, and that's my next project. I'm hoping to have it out for next next spring summer. Awesome. We'll definitely let you. Uh, we'll we'll definitely mention it when it's coming out. Keep in touch and make sure we uh, push that pretty heavily. And I know you're trying to also clear out some inventory. Uh, I don't know if you're still doing that on your website. I saw you were. Uh, was it is it sticky that's back? You have a, a bunch. Oh, of yeah. Um, that went out of print um, a couple of years ago, and it, especially in North America, it's been possible to find. And the publisher basically said, well, we have X amount remainder left. We'll sell them to you at, you know, cost. And so we picked up the rest of the print run. So it will, I was thinking about reprinting it as a soft cover, cause, uh, but now I, I won't have to because I have enough left for at least a few years of um, stock. So it is available again if people are interested. In, it's also coming out as ebook editions. I think the, sec the second issue just got released. Yeah. Uh, Dale, Dale put it out. He's doing each in issue individually. Really, the hardcover, you get a few extra pages and, and a really nice print job as well. And if you buy it through me, I usually do a sketch on the inside front cover. Yeah, that's. I was actually very interested in that because I was like, ooh, I, I always love getting artists 
sketches in their in their books or on their books, whatever. So I guess the best thing that we should do is also let everybody know where they can go to find you on the interwebs, your website, you know, Twitter, Instagram, any, any information you'd like to share with us, where we can find you online. The easiest place to find me is um, my website, which is stevemcisaac.com. McIsaac spelled M-A-C-I-S-A-A-C, not two S's, which everybody seems to do. I have a shirt, I have a Facebook page, uh, Shirtlifter Comics. Shirtlifter and Comics is a capital C. Um, so I tend, that's actually the, maybe the most up-to-date thing just because it's easy. Uh, I will, I've been posting a lot of progress pics of um, various panels from Shirtlifter 5 over there. So if you like on that page, you'll get some idea of what it looks like. It won't make any sense to you uh, because I haven't been actually putting any dialogue up. Just, you know, the most recent thing was a uh, sort of an unfinished street scene of Vancouver at night in the rain. And there's also been some pics and previews of, of Vacant Lots, which is a story that I did for Queer. Um, so there's some pages from that up over there if you want to check it out. I do, my website, I don't keep up to date as much just because it's a pain in the ass to do and, and Facebook's just such an instant, easy uh, blip up. So that's probably the easiest thing to do if uh, if someone's interested in following my stuff, those two places. Cool. We'll definitely get links to those up when we post the episode. And even beforehand, we always want to try to get some uh, some traffic over to really cool people who are doing some great stuff. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks a lot for uh, sitting down with us. I, really, uh, I was really excited when Pat talked about uh, getting in touch with you. I'm like, oh. Wednesday. Okay, cool. And then I forgot about it. And then he reminded me this morning or last night. Last I'm night, like, yeah. oh, that's tomorrow. Oh, yay. <laughs> well, how do you how do you think I feel? I've been bothering Steve for the past like three or four months. Of every couple every couple of weeks on Facebook. Hey, I'm still here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. And well, thank uh, you for having me. Definitely get the word out for you. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. With that, I think Thanks, it's uh, time to say flame off. Thanks for listening to Flame On. A podcast made possible by Powder Milk Biscuits, The Ones in the Blue Box, A Comic Shop, Nerdapalooza, and the generous support of tops and bottoms like you. If you want to be one of our sugar daddies, you can help out by telling a cute single friend about us, reviewing us on iTunes, or putting some dollars down our digital G-string in our monthly support drive. For more ridiculously entertaining and socially enlightening episodes of Flame On, as well as other fine programs, head on over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to Flame On and all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via iTunes. And be sure to find us on Twitter at Flame On Podcast or Facebook on our Flame On fan page. And make sure to check out flameonshow.com for more nerdy queer in your ear. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.